Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Welcome you to Fountain Springs. If this is your first time meeting me, my name is Ryan Callahan, and I'm the student pastor. Today I want to start off a little bit differently. When you walked in, you got one of these cards. If you have that card, will you take it out really quick and take a look at it? I'm going to be reading a story that's actually on that card and won't be on the screens. And I want you to interact with this piece of paper. The way I want you to do that is every time you see the word talent... I want you to take out a pin, which is right around your area, and I want you to box that word. So put a box around it and then count to see how many times that particular word is being used. For those watching online, grab your Bible. We'll be in Matthew 25. And it reads like this, starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little 
I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you'd be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This scripture is connected. Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven. In this particular parable or story, he repeats a certain word 17 times. The word talent, if I did my math right and I counted correctly. But he says it 17 times. Did he have to say it 17 times? No. He chose to. In telling a story, we all have, we get to choose what words we use, and he kept choosing the same word over and over and over because what he wanted to do was tell his listeners something about that word. So in our English vernacular, we see talent as an ability. In the Hebrew language, it's not ability. It actually means a round gold or silver disc or disc-shaped loaf. It was a way to measure gold or silver, and it came in a round disc, and it weighed 75 pounds. Like this. Ah! Workman's comp. (laughs) 75 pounds. And so to one, he gave 75 pounds, or $1.4 million. To the other, he gave two. And do the math yourself because I'm not very good. And to a third, he gave five. We're talking about up to $7 million and a bunch of weight to take care of. So he keeps saying this because he realizes that his listeners would look at this word and say, hmm. And they would ask the question, Why would Jesus keep using this word talent instead of using a different word? They understood talent because the majority of his listeners would not own their own talent. Most of his listeners would be so, like, their eyes would be so big at hearing the word talent over and over and over. And the amount of extravagance that this master would leave these servants... First of all, the master-servant relationship was very clear there. There is no master that allows his people to have $1.4 million. Just doesn't happen. 
So for those listeners, they're sitting there anxious about what's going to happen to the talent. When we look at this story, we see two heroes and we see one fool. And they see the opposite. Here's what I mean. If you own a business today, you want somebody to come in and double your revenue or your profits. In fact, you would pay them probably large large amounts of money to come in today and double what you gave them in the first place. And we see the two heroes in this story as the one that starts out with five talents and the other who starts out with two. We do not see the last one who hid it as the hero. Here's why. Because no one would entrust money like the master says. You'd at least put it in a bank and get some interest. The fact that you dug a hole and put it in the ground, that means you're a fool. Now here's what a Jewish listener would hear. The opposite. In fact, they would see the hero as the one who hid the money. Because a servant would not take the risk of losing a talent let alone more than one. See, these listeners would go, he's the hero of the story, but Jesus keeps talking about this weight, and he's trying to get me to understand something. I know the hero's not the one because he just put a negative connotation on that whole thing. But they're sitting there going, talent, talent, talent. What in my language or what in my world would carry the connotation of weight with it? And immediately they would jump to the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, in the second book of the Bible, Exodus, it describes the house of God or the temple or tabernacle. I want to show you a picture. If you read these detailed accounts of how the tabernacle was set up, you would understand that immediately when they heard the the term talent, they would immediately go to this place called the Holy of Holies. Let me explain why. The temple was constructed in such a way where certain people were allowed in certain sections of that temple. At the very back end, in this enclosed space, with this giant curtain, sat God himself. The Ark of the Covenant below and the mercy seat of God on the top. If you read the historical documents about how the cherubim would sit on the top of that mercy seat, they were actually the shadow over God's presence. The whole thing was inlaid with gold, and the weight alone in that room, they would immediately go, talent, tabernacle, that's off limits. In fact, there's only one person that could go in there once a year during the Day of Atonement, for the rest of the people, and they would tie a bell and a rope to his leg so that if it jingles, he's still alive. But if he died, and sometimes they did because they weren't clean and God could not have uncleanliness in his sight or presence, they would die and they'd pull him right out because no one else was allowed in there. Think of that for a second, a place where if you walked in, you could be struck to death. That's weighty. Now, Jesus did this really interesting thing when he died on the cross. And I don't think it was coincidence. Let me show it to you. Matthew 27, it says this. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Find it fascinating that he's the one that gives his life, even up into the last moments. 
And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Go read the historical documents. It's not only did it happen, but people in the tabernacle were freaking out. Because no one was allowed behind that curtain, and now it's been ripped in two. What does this mean for our temple? What does this mean for our people? We have all of these rules in the Old Testament. What do we do now? They're freaking out. And the rest of the Gentiles and Paul himself, who writes in Hebrews, are excited because something has happened. Therefore, brothers and sisters, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest, Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All of us, almost all of us in the room, there, there may be some Jewish people in the room, you would be allowed to partake in the tabernacle. Us Gentiles would not. This is the best news we could hear ever because now we get direct access to Jesus. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me try to explain it this way. The Holy of Holies had the mercy seat of God. The weight of everything we believe was in that room. Jesus, when he dies, rips the curtain over and says, I took the weight of the world on my shoulders. I took control of that weight, and now it's yours. And he hands it over to you when you accept him as your personal savior. You get access and you get the weight. And what do I mean? This is really heavy. Some of y'all can cur- curl it, which is embarrassing, but. When you get access to the weight, it can be heavy. In this story, all three servants are like, wait, master, you're really giving me that much weight? Are you, you sure? Have you seen who I am? Do you know Do you know what I've done? All over every weekend in this church, there are people, including right now, who are holding babies, making coffee, opening doors, helping people in every facet of our church. They have received the weight of God in their life. They're the temple that God's spirit resides in. And when they give the weight away, the grace, it comes back to them a hundredfold. Here's what I mean. In Luke 6, verse 38, it says this. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is saying the guy with five talents was willing to risk all of it because he understood the weight. I can't hold on to this weight. I've got to give it away. What he didn't realize is right when he gave it away, he got all of it back. And the second one, the same thing. And there's one individual 
that had really the same thing the other two did. No, he only had one. No, he had the extreme weight. He had the same feeling the other two did. He just didn't understand that he was supposed to give it away. See, you know what I mean. If you've ever been around an elderly, elderly couple that just had surgery or something, they had to stay home, and you took them a cooked meal. Who felt better, you or them? Most of you went, well, they did. Well, the answer is, scientifically, you felt better. Chemicals were spraying in your brain saying, that was amazing. And you actually walk away from an interaction where you spent your talent on someone else. God designed your body and your brain to actually give it back to you fully, not only in that moment, but later. Because every talent we spend on someone else's behalf comes back to us. Now, some of y'all are listening and you understand what I'm saying. You're t- talk about weight, talk about the tabernacle. I understand I'm supposed to give it away with the measure you use. It will be given back to you. I understand, Pastor, but when I look at this story, you said there's three guys and they didn't get an equal amount. How do you describe that? How do you fix that situation? Isn't your God just? Yes. He gave. There's this little line in here that says, each according to his ability. Now, what was the master doing? He was watching those that he led. He was watching the one that ends up with five and the one that ends up with two and the one that ends up with one. And he was watching. He's saying, who's giving the weight away? That's who's going to get more weight. Oh, so God gives more grace to certain people. No, he just knows who's going to give it away. So he's going to give it freely to those people, those that are willing all the time to look for ways to interact with the world and spend their talent on behalf of others. God's going to go, I'm going to grace you even more. Here's more to be responsible over. Here's an opportunity for you to spend it and continue to spend it. You might be sitting here going, well, I recently lost my job or I got a divorce Or, you know what, I'm a horrible person. I'm addicted right now. I've got issues you don't even want to know about. You really don't want me helping other people in the church. Oh, let me go back to the parable where it says, oh, you get a talent. No, just kidding. You were divorced. You lost your job. You had a problem. You did. It doesn't say that. Jesus was trying to say that everybody gets a chance. It doesn't matter. When he died on the cross, everyone gets the weight. Do you want the weight? Do you want to carry the weight? Do you want to give away the weight? When you do, I'll give you more weight. My grace is never ending, Jesus says. Well, I can't do it, pastor. You don't know my life. And I say, all things are possible for those that believe in Jesus Christ. He carries the weight on your behalf. All you got to do is spend it. All you got to do is spend it. And honestly, I don't want to carry this anyway, so I'll just give it away. Someone else want to come and get it? You see my point? When we understand that we are made in the image of God and our identity is fully in him, we're going to spend it no matter what. You've met these people. You've met these people. When you go to the store and they're the one talking to the person in the Walmart line, and some of y'all are like, why are they so nice? I need to get my stuff and go. 
that person is just having a conversation, just loving on that person across the counter. And you know that person at Walmart isn't having a good time always. I'm not down on Walmart, by the way. That's (laughs) not my point. But my point is this. You've met these people, and in moments they irritate you because they're just sort of spending their life on behalf of other people. But with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you every single day of the week. Imagine with me a church that looked at Jesus' words in this story and said, I can't be the one that buries my talent. I'm not going to be the one that buries my talent. Oh, well, I'm only 11 and I'm listening to your words. Don't care. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, insert whatever excuse you want. Imagine a church on fire with the idea that we all have a weight to give away. And no matter what, we're going to give it away. Imagine a church in the Black Hills where we just spent it on behalf of everybody. And it was just like, like rolling down our window and throwing money out. Horrible idea. But imagine that type of church where we were just spending our talent no matter what and carrying the weight around and God just gave us more weight. People can lift weight because they start off with a little bit of weight. Five pounds. How do they get to 10? How do they end up with 75? They start somewhere. And God goes, well done, my good and faithful servant. Notice how the story doesn't say to the guy with two talents, you fool, you should have tripled it or quadrupled it. No, he says the exact same thing he said to the five. The exact same words came out of his mouth. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now you will be given much. Have you ever heard of the butterfly effect? In 1963, a man by the name of Edward Lorenz wrote a doctoral thesis, and he, it was called the butterfly effect. He had different words, but it's ended up being the butterfly effect. And he said in this thesis that a butterfly who flaps its wings on one side of the world will release molecules of air that will hit other molecules of air all the way around the world, and that will cause a hurricane or some kind of wind disaster, the butterfly effect. So there was a guy. Hold on, I'm trying to get ahead of myself. See, when he presented this doctoral thesis, he was laughed out of the place. They said, that's nonsense. He goes, I have a computer program that proves it. And they said, nonsense. So people started collecting stories about the butterfly effect because they loved the idea that someone just flapping their wings once or twice could create this catastrophic consequence on the other side of the world. So writers would write about it, and all these people, for 30 years it went on. And in the 90s, physics professors said, oh, no, 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 that's not a crazy idea that some dude had. It's actually a law. So they made it a law. And they actually figured out that it's with any form of matter, which means you and I, not just butterflies. So when we flap our wings and spend our talent... There's a ripple effect. There was this guy who, a uh, really smart dude, and I love his, his writing. He's a writer. 
And he was watching this ABC news program called The Person of the Week. He's ironing his shirt, and he's got the program on, and he's listening to find out who's the person of the week. And they announced the person of the week as Norman Borlaug. Norman Borlaug has saved 2 billion people thereabouts. Every time a child, oh, more children are being born right now, so that number's going up. Well, what did he save them from? Famine. He studied hybridizing corn and wheat for arid climates and figured out how to plant that type of crop. So most of us are here today because of Norman Borlaug. And for that, he got Person of the Week. Really? Person of the Week? But it wasn't Norman Borlaug who did it. It was actually this guy named Henry Wallace. See, Henry Wallace, during his small time as vice president, started a station in Mexico, and he hired a guy by the name of Norman Borlaug. So it wasn't Norman Borlaug that did it. It was Henry Wallace. Or was it George Washington Carver? Those that have a peanut allergy have this dude to thank. He created 266 different ways to use the peanut. He's one of the most sought-after horticulturalists in our society. He was the one that saved the 2 billion people. He did this little thing on Saturdays. On Saturdays, he would invite the kids from the community to come and hang out with him, and he would mentor them, and he would teach them about plants, and he would give them a vision for life, and he would say how plants can actually, when you understand them scientifically, can actually make a change in the world that you would not even be aware of. And this little kid, seven years old, Henry Wallace, would come on Saturday mornings and hang out with George Washington Carver. So it wasn't Norman Borlaug, and it certainly wasn't George Washington Carver. Maybe it was a guy named Moses Carver, a guy that lived in a slave state that decided he would purchase people in slavery and set them free. Moses had a family named the Carvers on his plantation. He rescued them out of slavery And George Washington Carver was a baby. One night, the Quantrill Raiders came through, which is a hate group, and they took anyone and everyone on this farm and stole them to sell them back into slavery. Moses Carver jumped on his prized horse and rode after them. He got to the men and he begged them. He got down on his knees and begged them and said, please don't take these children and these mothers and these fathers. Please give them back. I'll give you anything. And they looked back at him and said, what will you give us? And he said, my prized horse. He says, you can't have the rest of them, but you can have this sick baby. And he throws this burlap burlap sack into Moses' arms. And the story goes that George Washington Carver should have died had Moses not intervened. So it wasn't Norman Borlaug or Henry Wallace or George Washington Carver that saved the two billion people. It was Moses Carver. Or was it? I could go on. Ordinary people doing what they loved. Choosing to spend their talent on behalf of someone else. 
creating molecules of air in motion that hit other molecules of air in motion that created a tidal wave on the other side of the universe. Moses did not know when he gave that horse away that he would get a burlap sack that would end up saving two billion people and counting. He just do, he, knew, he did what was right in the moment. And that's all God asked us to do. How will you spend your talent? It's already with you. You're carrying it right now. Some of you go, oh, I can't teach or I can't, I can't, I can't. Who cares? What do you love doing? Guy came up to me in the first service and he says, I guess I have to keep doing Toastmasters. I'm supposed to influence kids and I've been doing this thing and I've kind of just maybe want to give up on it, but now I have to keep doing it. Yeah, now you have to keep doing it. Because you never know who's in the room. You never know who's in your space. You never know who you're influencing. You might not be the vice president, but you could be just a normal old farmer. It could be just a normal old person that decided one day, it doesn't matter what it takes from me, I will spend my talent on behalf of others. Here's the crazy part. God will give it back to you a hundredfold. I was driving around this morning. I got in my car, and I love the Black Hills. We've been here nine months, and I'm like, oh, I love you. If I could kiss you, I would. <laughs> but I drive all the time. My wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm driving again, like just driving around. Like it's beautiful here. And I'm driving around, and I'm thinking, man, I know this, service, this sermon, God, you put on my heart. I, you put it on my heart a long time ago. But I realize it's so easy to walk out the doors after hearing something like this and doing absolutely nothing. Or better yet, taking our talent and digging in the ground and burying it. So when God comes back, we can go, I saved it for you. But what I prayed as I drove around, I drove to Deadwood and Lead and Sturgis and like, as far as I could go without like, then I got worried. I was like, am I going to get a flat tire and like ruin the whole evening? But I was praying that God would release his spirit through this talk. That people would actually get it for once to say, you know what? I can't do everything, but I can knock on the neighbor's door and make cookies. I know how to do that. Or I know how to the next time I go to work to look for the person that isn't having a good day and say, are you doing okay? I can do that. I could maybe sign up for a group or mentor a student. I, I've been trying to get somebody to mentor me so I can keep beehives. So anybody in the room wants to help, that's great. But think about what you do in your normal life that you could go, I'm going to spend my talent on that and then do it. Everyone turn around right now and wherever you are and I want you to look at the exit doors. Yeah, everybody just... Okay, how many times have you walked in and out of those doors? How many times have you heard something maybe inspiring, something moving, or something that, that God was maybe speaking to your heart? And then walked out the doors and then just exited. Man, are you thinking about Arby's? Or are you thinking about, you know, a, a better burger? 
or, you know, uh, we needed to get that thing done, right? No, I'm saying that because I've done that. For so, so many weeks on end, I hear an amazing message where the Holy Spirit says, that one's for you. And then I traipse, traipse on out and do nothing with it. Imagine a church that accepted the weight that was given to them and spent it and spent it and spent it and spent it. Not asking questions, not worrying about what the outcome was, not worrying if anybody would see it, but they just spent it and they spent it and spent it. Here's what's going to happen. The master's going to get back and he's going to go, well done, my good and faithful servants. You were faithful with a little. Now I'm going to give you much. Let's pray. I just want to take a moment. And those that are Christians, you already carry the weight. Your person is the temple. You are the temple of God. He resides in your heart. He's already placed the talents and gifts in your life right now. And he carries the weight for you. All you got to do is spend it. But there's others in the room today who may not have received this weight. They may have not seen the cross of Jesus and given their life to him. Maybe you're sitting here today, and that's the first step you need to take. Maybe you're sitting, and you're going, I need Jesus to rescue me. I'm all sorts of weird places, and I don't know what to do. Well, here's what to do. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He conquered death. He carried the weight for you. And he's made you perfect through what he's done. All you have to do is accept and believe what he's done. So right now where you are, it's not the words that you would say. It's, it's the belief in your heart. Right now where you are, if you need to say this prayer out loud with us, then say it. Be bold. We're all going to say it together, even if you're a Christian today. We want to make those in the room that, that are saying these words for the first time feel comfortable. So everyone together, dear Jesus, tonight I trust you. I accept what you did on the cross. And I believe that you are real. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. God, I come before you and I, I realize that there are those in this room that are here on purpose. They could be anywhere in the world today. And God, you have them here to hear the truth of your word. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to their hearts right now. God, I pray that you would not let us go, not let us settle, that you would act, have us activate on what we've learned and spend our talents on behalf of others. Thank you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' name.
Amen.